Everyday grocery store items like bananas, chocolate, coffee, these are global commodities. They pass through a lot of people's hands on their way from the fields to your grocery cart. This is the stories behind our food podcast, the podcast where expert guests share insider knowledge about every step along the process. I'm Danielle Robidoux. And I'm Kate Chess. And we're your hosts. The majority of the world's chocolate comes from Africa, but Equal Exchange has historically always sourced its chocolate from Latin America. Dairy Kate and I engage in a conversation about the chocolate bar, the total eclipse, the story behind that partnership, and beginning to work in Togo. We unpack the complexity of child labor in the chocolate industry. We hope you enjoy it. So who, who are you, Dari, and what, what do you do for Equal Exchange? Um, what exactly is like a day in the life? Hi, yeah. Uh, my name is Dari Goodrich. I am Equal Exchange's chocolate products manager. Um, and I've actually been at Equal Exchange probably over 15 years now, um, quite a while, working in various roles. Um, and uh, I manage our chocolate team and all of our chocolate products. Um, so what does a day in the life look like? Well, I have to say every day is definitely different. Um, the chocolate team is really responsible for managing our chocolate and cocoa products. And that's really kind of all the behind the scenes work to develop and procure products, um, to build and manage relationships with our farmer partners um, and suppliers, to share that knowledge that we have with our kind of teams and our sales team to go out and get the hands in the product of our customers. So it kind of entails a whole lot of different work from product research and development and purchasing and inventory management, um, development of packaging and marketing materials to uh, building relationships with our farmer partners and working to share their stories. So, yeah, every day is totally different. Um, you know, a day, often there are meetings involved, um, often, uh, you know, <laughs> of course, uh, at Equal and, um, you know, connecting with manufacturing partners about our production orders, things that arise um, as they're producing or thinking about future productions, um, you know, looking at sales numbers, seeing how this compares to what we thought was going to happen and how this might impact our needs for kind of future uh, inventory. And, uh, you know, we have a team of four of us. So a lot of my work too is supporting my team as we kind of navigate, you know, various inventory or product issues that come up um, or responding to customers. Um, and uh, hopefully in there, I can always kind of find time to uh, carve out some project time and think about uh, kind of, goals and, and future projects that we can work on for our team um, to kind of always improve what we're doing. Um, I do actually work remotely. Um, I'm located in Birmingham, Alabama. I was in Massachusetts at our main office yeah. for about 10 years. Um, but since I do work remotely, sadly, I don't participate on our sensory panel. So I don't get to uh, do a lot of the quality work on the day to day. But of course, I still love to uh, eat chocolate. That is so sad. You've given us a real <laughs> sense of the complexity of your job. And I think that Danielle and I were talking about how a lot of people have a pretty simplistic and rosy picture of what it might be like to move in to work in chocolate. It just involves eating a lot of chocolate. Can you <laughs> can, tell us about, uh, if you can, about what some of that fun stuff is? We're really curious about the process for deciding on a new chocolate product, for instance. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's a pretty sweet job. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> see what I did there. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I actually began my time at Equal Exchange in our interfaith program back in 2001. Um, and around 2005, 2006, um, at that time, you know, we were very much focused on coffee, um, which is still the largest part of what we do. But um, we realized, you know, we had other products and wanted to put more energy into chocolate and tea, actually. And there was no kind of dedicated staff for either of those products. Um, and I was like, I can't pass up this opportunity when um, Equal Exchange decided to actually create positions for a chocolate products manager and a tea product. Uh, product manager. And I was like, I, got, I need to work in chocolate. So, so you didn't have any um, chocolate here, experience formally at that time? No, other than, other than selling chocolate through our uh, interfaith program at the time. Um, but uh, that was really it. Um, so uh, it's been just a great uh, learning experience for me and kind of building this whole program um, and growing it um, every year in kind of new and different ways. Um, and, you know, it is super fun, especially to develop products. Um, and that's a really kind of a fun part of, uh, of what we do and a creative part of what we do. Um, and, you know, at Equal Exchange, I think we really try and be strategic about how many products we have, right? There's just a lot about um, how many products you have and what that means for kind of your, your capacity as a team to manage those. Um, of course, your inventory and your carrying costs for all those things. Um, and, and we want to make sure we're really offering the right products for our customers. People are excited about. Um, and so, you know, when we think about developing new products, we, we look at what's happening out there on the market. Um, we look at market data. Um, our team is out there um, getting samples from, uh, the market on the shelf and seeing what's happening on the shelf um, and also thinking about kind of larger food trends um, and then kind of reflecting on what are we kind of what are we missing or what might be good opportunities for us in terms of new products um, and you know out there in the food world especially chocolate there's always a lot of trendy stuff that happens in the market um, and for us we want to launch a product that uh, at times kind of meets some of those trends but also kind of it, we want to do something that's going to be more long lasting, yeah. right? That's going to actually build a product that can build volume for our, our producer partners. Um, and so a lot of, of my kind of thinking behind product strategy is, is kind of combining trends with something classic, classic so that it can actually um, have more long-term success. Um, and so once we kind of looked out there at all the things that are going on, we kind of brainstorm different categories of products we might want to launch um, or uh, specific products that feel like really good possibilities from uh, for us. Um, and then from there, we work with our manufacturing partners to develop the recipes through a process that really kind of narrows down. A lot of times we just we throw stuff up at the wall in terms of the categories we think are are good places for us to be. Um, and say, hey, we want to try a bunch of these, you know, three or four different things within this category. Um, and then we, uh, from there, do a lot of sampling and, and whittling down and narrowing down to ones that we actually feel like are the right right match and that our customers will be excited about. Um, and then, If I'm understanding correctly, you would like choose some ingredients perhaps and then ask manufacturing partners to play around with those? Correct. And then try them and see which ones work best? Correct. Exactly. Yep. Um, and so uh, a lot of it is saying, hey, here are the ingredients we want. Here's kind of the, the a few different uh, chocolate uh, percentages or recipes that we might want to try those ingredients in. 
Um, and then once we get those, say, whoa, whoa, that really didn't work with the 55%. Uh, so let's try it at 65%. Um, mm -hmm. And then really kind of tweaking around uh, the recipes to really get the best balance between um, the, the ingredients and the chocolate. And I think one of the surprising things, you know, is, is how much inclusions, right? So the, the different ingredients we put in bars outside of just the chocolate, right? So the almonds and sea salt, and, um, yeah. lemon, you know, and ginger and things like that. How, how those really play with the chocolate. Um, sometimes they work really well and pair really well, and sometimes they don't. Um, and they can really, uh, overwhelm the chocolate or make the chocolate, uh, you know, some cases super sour when you add an salty note and like that just doesn't work. And so there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of work to get to really that perfect balance that we're excited to, uh, to launch. Yeah, that's really interesting. Are you fumbling in the dark about that stuff or do you have more of a sense now that you've been doing it for a long time, what might work well playing with the notes of the chocolate? Um, I, I think we have a good starting point, but you always learn <laughs> as you do it. Um, they're like, well, that actually didn't work as much. Um, and so a lot of it is just being open um, and saying, hey, we're going to start with a few different starting points um, and see really where it is, um, which direction is the right one to go in. But I do feel, you know, uh, I, I feel like we've had some some really good success with some product launches um, I think we're, we're pretty good at that. We've also had some failures, right? Which is also how you learn and you, and you have to do that. Um, and, uh, but I feel like we're, we are good at really getting to kind of what's a, what's a final product that we're excited about. And we, we, we believe that customers are going to be excited about. Well, speaking of new products, we have three new bars coming out, but we're especially interested in talking to you about the total eclipse bar. We were hoping you could tell us what's special about it and a little about that, that. Sure. Yeah, we are excited that we're launching three new bars coming up here soon. And the Total Eclipse is one of those, a 92% dark bar. Um, and, you know, we know more and more people, right, are looking for products with less sugar. And I think when I started in this position, you know, dark chocolate, people was in the 60 to 70% range. And then a few years later, it was in 70 to 80% range. And, um, you know, more recently, the 80-90% range, right? We launched an 88%. That's done incredibly well. and People are looking for that. Um, and so we're really excited to launch this 92%, which um, has only three grams of sugar, but is also, you know, for us, um, that's a that's a super dark bar, right? So we want something that, um, that can be challenging to get a product that actually has good flavor at that, um, at that percentage. Um, you've got to really have good beans, a good process to make sure that the, the product um, is not overly bitter or um, stringent or that there are kind of um, off notes in that product. Um, and, you know, we worked hard to come up with a, a bar that uh, is, you know, just a, a really nice chocolatey bar um, and just a lot of chocolate notes in it. And that sounds a little funny uh, talking about uh, chocolate because it's chocolate, but different origins have very different flavor profiles, mm -hmm. right? Um, and some are going to be more nutty, some are going to have floral notes, some are going to be more sour. Um, and uh, we are actually super excited with this bar to um, begin working in Africa to source some beans for this bar. Um, this is, a, is not a single origin bar, but some of the beans will be coming from farmers in the country of Togo, which is located in West Africa. Um, and up to this point, we've been working in Latin America. We love working with our partners in Latin America, but we are excited to begin partnering and working with um, 
some organizations in Togo for these beans and, and bringing it back. The, you know, West Africa is very much known for its chocolatey notes in the beans. Um, <clears throat> and so this bar kind of is uh, illustrating uh, kind of the chocolatiness uh, of some of the beans that are in there. Yeah, Derry, that is kind of the question that I had. It seems that um, discourse around kind of labor abuses in the chocolate industry, child labor, uh, focuses a lot on West Africa. Um, traditionally, Equal Exchange seems to have sourced chocolate from Latin America. Um, can you talk about why that was chosen and how did some of those initial relationships come about? Yeah, uh, really good question. And, um, you know, throughout its history, Equal Exchange has focused um, mainly on supporting organic farming, right, and kind of more environmentally friendly farming practices. Um, and that's been a, a key part of kind of uh, who we are as an organization. Um, and when we launched our chocolate program back in 2002, we started with an organic product. Um, we actually, our first um chocolate product was actually a cocoa product. It was a cocoa mix that we launched in 2002, um, mm -hmm. which is just a great product, just combining um, organic uh, cocoa powder, um, organic sugar, and actually organic milk powder. Um, and when we started at the time, the only place where you could actually source organic uh, cocoa or cacao um, was in Latin America. Mm -hmm. um, and so in a lot of the kind of the, the fair trade organic um, cacao sourcing um, and origins were in Latin America, and that's uh, where we focused a lot of our work um, in Dominican Republic and Peru um, and Panama and Ecuador. Um, and for a long time, really, Latin America has been the leader in organic um, and traceable um, kind of high quality or more specialty uh, cacao beans. Cool. Um, and it's really been interesting, I think, to watch the cacao industry in Latin America follow the specialty coffee industry. Um, and so a, a bunch of the countries in Latin America have done a really good job of supporting uh, co-ops and their kind of um, growing um, industries to focus on quality and provide um, kind of unique flavors and higher quality um, cacao for the chocolate industry. Very cool. And so going back to the very beginning, how did some of those where did you find those connections and how did you know which farmers to work with? And, you know, were you involved in that process? Was it kind of driving around different countries to find farmers? I mean, how does that work? Um, it was actually before my time um, in the chocolate world. Um, so that, that happened before me. Um, but uh, really it was connection with people who were, who were doing some of this work already. Um, and we actually ended up, um, launching our first product in conjunction with a, um, a worker co-op in Canada who was a 100% fair trade organization. They were focused on cocoa. Their name is La Siembra, who is now a close uh, kind of partner, sister organization of ours. And uh, and they were the ones doing it. And, they, you know, we were excited about kind of the origins they were working with, which was um, the Dominican Republic for the cocoa powder uh, uh, cooperative called Conicado. Um, and then also at the same time, um, uh, organic and fair trade sugar coming out of Paraguay, which was kind of the leading um, country in terms of organic sugar at the time, um, and working with several co-ops there. Very cool. So now it seems like the direction maybe is beginning to shift a little bit with 
kind of your mention of a new partnership in Togo. Can you talk a little bit about that partnership and kind of where the thinking behind that came about? So um, we were approached um, by an organization that's been working in Togo, uh, a fair trade organization named Gabbana Togo, um, who's been there for um, since 2015, I believe now. And um, they're working with two different cooperatives. One is named Scoops ProCob, which was founded in 2013. Um, and the second cooperative is named Scoops ICPA, and they were founded in 2018. And they were originally actually um, one co-op, but they realized they were uh, very far apart. And so it made more sense to um, split up the structures of the organizations to make it uh, function better. Um, and combined between the two cooperatives, there's over 850 members and they're located um, in the regions around the cities of Kapalime and Badu, which are in the southwestern part of Togo, um, close, pretty close to the border of Ghana. And so really much, very much in the what's called the Cocoa Belt of West Africa. Um, in terms of uh, a little bit more about them, right, their average farm sizes are about half hectare to one and a half hectares. And so um, just to give you a little bit of comparison, um, it's, it's quite small. Um, we work uh, traditionally with small scale farmers um, for our um, cocoa. Um, but in Latin America, a lot of our producers are averaging in the two to three um, hectares range. Um, and they're probably producing about 400 kilos or over 800 pounds of um, cocoa per hectare. And that's also below kind of the, um, the world kind of average of cocoa production. Um, I think a lot of older farms um, and also older farmers, kind of the average age of farmers there is 50. Um, and actually uh, the life expectancy in Togo is probably about 60 years old. Um, so yeah. Um, and, uh, but they are, um, really investing in kind of new trees, um, and, uh, investing in the farms. They actually, I wow. think in 2017 replanted about yeah. 80,000 new cocoa trees. Um, and, you know, I think what's really exciting, um, is that they are doing organic. And I think, um, uh, this, you know, they've actually been producing cocoa and Togo, um, for, uh, over a hundred years for a long time. Um, and the industry kind of grew and then declined because there just wasn't a lot of investment there. And so, um, I don't have exact figures, but I'm guessing they're producing, uh, globally in, in Togo, um, for all production, maybe five to 10,000 metric tons. And to compare to two countries over in Ivory Coast, they're producing roughly 1.8 million. Uh, metric tons of cocoa. So very, very small scale. And I think what's exciting is this has allowed these organizations to do organic, which is not tr uh, kind of uh, traditional in West Africa. Um, and it's traceable cocoa. Um, and so, you know, we're excited to work with organizations that are really trying to do things differently and set a different standard for an industry in this country that's, that's really kind of being reborn. Um, and I think can be reborn in a really positive way. Um, so for us, um, there's still a lot to learn, right? We, we, um, it's a totally different context, um, in West Africa. So, um, that's part of, part of why we wanted to do this and make this step, um, get kind of in there and, and see what we can learn. And so just to ask a little bit more about, um, why, why this decision, do you think that 
it's more of a business decision, more of an ethical decision. And why is it meaningful for Equal Exchange to, you know, to move forward with this partnership to you? Yeah, really good question. I think um, uh, with Equal Exchange, uh, these kind of decisions are always often both those things. Um, and, you know, why did we want to get into West Africa? Like I said um, before, it's really the 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 heart of the the kind of major part of the industry. Right, sixty to seventy percent of the world's cocoa is coming from there, um, so it's a, it plays a major role in the entire chocolate industry. Mm -hmm. um, and beyond this, um, as a lot of people listening will probably know, right? And as I previously mentioned, um, there has been a major focus on the problem of child labor in West Africa. Um, and, and I want to talk about that, just kind of clarify that a little bit. Um, what do we mean by child labor? Because I think there's a lot of, at times, kind of misconceptions out there about kind of how do we define that? And what's that mean? Um, and, and at the first level, right, it's kids working on farms with their families, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's something that's normal, right? And yeah. is um, happens in the U.S. on farms, right? Um, and they're helping their families out on the weekends, outside of school, um, doing, you know, just um, safe tasks around the, the farm, like, you know, my kids do chores around my house. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then there's what's known as the worst forms of child labor. Um, and the International Labor Organization kind of uh, states this as, uh, quote, work which by its nature or the circumstances in which it is carried out is likely to harm the health, safety, or morals of children, um, unquote. Right. So um, that's really um, what people are, are talking about. And that's when kids are, are not able to go to school. When kids are working long hours, when they're working in unsafe and unhealthy conditions. Um, and then there's another level, um, which is children that are actually trafficked and end up in slave conditions. Um, and that's that's a far smaller number, but it still exists. Um, and, and I think something that's uh, kind of unfair to West Africa is to um, it's often, you know, explained as this is. It, or it seems or is perceived this is only happening in West Africa. And this is not just happening in West Africa. It's happening around the world. It's happening not just in cocoa, but um, all sorts of crops. So sadly today, this is just a major widespread problem that still mm -hmm. continues around the world um, and even in the US. Um, and so, um, but that said, you know, in West Africa, because it is such a large part of the industry and it provides the most uh, beans for the industry, um, there, ha there has been that focus and um, you know, just to give some numbers and some context, um, the United States government hired uh, Tulane University to really look at this and provide research and reporting on this issue. Um, they published a few different reports. Their final report was in 2015, and they compared data from the 2008-2009 harvest to the 2013-2014 harvest. And they found an overall increase in, in um, children working in hazardous conditions um, in the Ivory Coast and Ghana, um, and they wrote that over 2 million children were found in hazardous uh, work um, during that 2013-2014 harvest season. So it's it's a major at a, at a huge scale. Um, right. And my understanding is that in the chocolate industry, there's been conversations and more light shed on this and people, big players have said that they're going to be making improvements. But so it's disheartening to hear that, in fact, there are more children working in this industry and their yeah, work. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot of conversations for uh, a long time. Um, and there's there has been some action, but I think what everyone 
uh, still believes is it's far, far, far from enough. Um, and a lot of that too is it's it's action that uh, is not the right action. Um, and you know, from equal exchanges perspective, you know, a lot of this needs to be paying farmers more. Um, and part of the fair trade system is that there is a floor price and that we're paying higher than the market price. Um, but uh, in 2017, the market dropped um, basically by uh, over 30%, right? And so for farmers to lose that um, and have no control over that uh, has a huge impact and that forces them to take, you know, drastic measures. Um, and uh, which can be how they, you know, aren't aren't even able to pay their labor, or maybe they actually stop growing cocoa altogether, right? Um, it, it's hard choice. Right, they're forced out of the industry, or they, yeah, hire laborers or get laborers that aren't being paid yeah, fairly. Correct. Yeah. And Dari, do you see any specific difficulties around this partnership in particular, and anything that you can foresee that could be? difficult for equal exchange in this partnership? Yeah. So, um, I think we're learning that, right? I think, I think time will tell, yeah. um, but you'll let us know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, of course we kind of think about these things. Um, and, um, you know, a, a few things that come to mind is, is, you know, in many countries in Latin America, co-ops are, um, well-defined. They've been around for a long time. Um, and they're, Sometimes decently supported by the government, sometimes they're not. Um, depends on the country and the context. Um, and I think in Africa, this is is less true, right? So, um, kind of our understanding is that these organizations are learning to be co-ops and and are starting in a very different place. Um, and so, I think that'll mm -hmm. be something that's um, for us to learn and, and engage with them and um, understand what does that really mean and what's that look like as we progress with this relationship. Um, you know, I know they've also right now they're doing um, fermentation on the farms um, rather than kind of central post-harvest fermentation. Uh, and, and what that means is, right, cocoa beans go through a process. Uh, once they're harvested, um, they actually are fermented, um, which goes through a process to really kind of develop the flavor of the bean. Um, and doing it on the farm, you have less control over that, right? And so there's um, the quality um, can be really good, but it also can be in, uh, inconsistent, right? So I think that's something that we want. And I know they're thinking about that there as well. Um, obviously, the size of the farms are very small. So um, that plays a, a role in how much impact you can have um, if there's only so much land to produce on. Um, so kind of trying to understand that piece. And the other piece is that we're on our side, you know, we're we're only launching right now this product with these beans and it's, it's blended. So um, it's a new product, right? And so we hope it does really well, um, yeah. but it's a new product and you don't know that. And so, you know, we hope we can buy a whole bunch of beans from this cooperative, uh, but uh, with it only being in one product, it's time will tell, right? And so we hope we can um, provide uh, a more kind of consistent purchasing partner for them. Um, but time will tell. And of course, we can also think about other strategies. Um, it sounds like our reason. our listeners need to make sure to buy some chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> so, sounds like a good That's idea. That's the total eclipse bar, folks, <laughs> listening at home. It's delicious, yeah, I hear. Exactly. Actually, I've tried it. It is delicious. It is delicious. Yeah. And we think it will do well. But but again, it's a new product and, and they're always unknown. 
Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, challenges between us and even just getting a product to the shelf um, and to customers. Right. Um, it's just not always a straight path. So, yeah, um, those are a few things I think that we're we're thinking about. But, you know, I, I am really excited that we're taking this step. And as I said, it's it's new for us and I, and it gives us the ability to move into West Africa and learn and really see what the reality is and how much it lines up with kind of what we hear out there in the news and um, and what it is on the ground and, and how we can potentially play a role in having a real positive um, impact along with these organizations that are doing good work in Togo. Yeah, that's a powerful thing. Yeah, for sure. Just to go back to the fluffy questions, can you tell us how you came up with the name Total Eclipse? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really struck by that. I'm a I'm a fiction writer and I, I like words. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of chocolate bars have pretty straightforward names. Like one of the other bars we're launching is just almond and sea salt, right? So uh, pretty straightforward. But um, with this one, we wanted to get uh, a little bit more creative. And we actually, so the process, um, like I was talking about before, kind of going through the iterations and thinking about what's good out in the market. Um, we actually, in this case, had a team, um, a committee that was, um, a few of my colleagues from our Chaka team, as well as a few folks from our sales team, um, working together through this whole process to come up with these products. And um, that committee, we uh, had a few brainstorm sessions, and I know some folks uh, on the committee also got some ideas from people outside of our committee. Um, and we had a lot of, you know, we were thinking super dark, right? What are fun ways to represent that? And of course, a lot of us came back with kind of nighttime moon themes. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe actually uh, Total Clips, the name came from one of our designers, Greta Merrick, who was working on the, the labels when we were thinking about um, names. And, uh, and we all kind of took that big list and did a few rounds of voting and narrowed it down and got down to a couple of names. Um, and let people kind of sit with it and think about kind of, does this fit with our current line? Will people understand what the product actually is? Are there reasons we shouldn't use the name, right? And um, kind of see if if the final ones made sense and, and worked. And we all were definitely in love with the Total Eclipse uh, concept. And uh, it was also super fun, again, because our designer was working on this and she uh, got whimsical and put in a, an eclipse moon above the cacao tree on the oh, front. So that's pretty fun. Little Easter egg. Kind of check out. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and then the bar is just a, a, you know, it's a kind of, it's a black label and we just are super excited about the whole concept and bringing that out in the market. We think people um, enjoy that. Great. Thank you so much. Dari for meeting with us. Um, maybe just one last question. What's what's up for um, the Equal Exchange chocolate team coming in 2019? Sure. Um, of course, working on a whole bunch of things. Um, a lot of it just uh, making sure we have a product for people to uh, purchase. Um, and of course, a lot of our energy will be focused on supporting the launch of our new bars. Um, and a lot of our work is behind the scenes, so we'll kind of be doing projects to uh, kind of continue to improve how we do things logistically and, and move our product around and get it to folks out there in the market. 
um, continuing to build our relationship with our producer partners um, and do trips to origin, um, as well as connect our customers and farmers through trips. And so last year we did a delegation to Peru, and we're actually looking at doing several delegations this year for staff and hopefully some uh, some of our accounts, um, which is always kind of a main goal of ours to just tell those stories, but also connect awesome. people um, and so people can see of live and in time what it really means uh, both to be uh, a farmer but also so farmers can hear what's happening in, in the U.S. right around the chocolate uh, aisle so yeah um, that should be pretty exciting awesome thanks so much Jerry and yeah maybe there's a follow-up podcast how does this partnership go I'm, I'm definitely interested in the follow-up thank you for joining us today yeah thanks for having me Thanks for listening to the Stories Behind Our Food, a podcast by Equal Exchange, Inc., a worker-owned cooperative. Love this episode? Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to visit equalexchange.coop to join the conversation, purchase products, and learn more about small-scale farmers and the global supply chain. This episode was produced by Equal Exchange with hosts Kate Chess and Danielle Robideau. Sound engineering provided by Gary Goodman. Join us next time for another edition of the Stories Behind Our Food.